Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. We've been there last week, this week, we'll probably be there next week, and then another week after that. Uh, This is Wednesday of the Passion Week. Remember, we've been talking about this. A number of chapters in Mark are Wednesday of the Passion Week, 12 and 13 for sure. Uh, The disciples believe Jesus is the Messiah, and so they are wondering when will Jesus take his rightful throne and establish his earthly kingdom. They've been hearing a lot as Jesus has been wandering from town to town about this kingdom, about uh, Christ's kingdom. When are we going to have this take place? When will this happen? And so I've entitled our message Eschatology 101. Eschatology is the study of future things, the biblical study of future things. And this is kind of some basic eschatology, if you will, On the back of your bulletin, there is an opportunity for notes. And uh, as I mentioned last week, there are a plethora of biblical theories about eschatology. The view we are expounding on is called, and we mentioned it last week, and it's a big word, and hopefully you used it this week in a number of sentences, amaze your friends, Premillennial dispensationalism is uh, the view that we are currently taking a peek at, although I shared with you last week, and there's a paper right over there that expounds on the other views. And as I shared, there is a plethora, a large amount of views on our eschatology. And in premillennial dispensationalism, Mark 13 is outlined like this. And we kind of looked at this last week. Let's take a peek. The destruction of uh, the Jewish city and the temple that happened in 70 AD. That was uh, verse 1 and 2. And then what we're talking about is that we're currently living in what we might call the church age. What we're living in now. And we talked a little bit last week about the rapture of the church. uh, Verse 13 of chapter 13. And then what we're going to talk about today is this idea of this seven year tribulation. And then we are going to talk next week about the second coming of Jesus. And then we are going to talk about, which is something that we all know, no one knows the exact time when Jesus is coming back again. So we are told in Mark chapter 13, as well as a number of other passages, to keep watch, be ready. So if you have your Bible, take it and turn to Mark chapter 13, and we will take a look at verses 14 to 23 today. And really what we're going to be looking at is this idea of tribulation. It seems like things kind of change with verse 14, and we're going to talk about that. And then in verse 19, which we'll read in a minute, it says, that these days of distress will be unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. So there's something dynamic happening here and we're going to call it the seven-year tribulation. Uh, And it's unequal to the things that we read in verses 3 through 12 that we are currently living in. It's unequal to that time. And it's even worse than the flood. 
I mean, it says that this is going to be a, a bad time unlike anything we've ever seen. And so some of my commentaries said even worse than the flood. And the flood was pretty bad because only eight people survived that. Uh, so this is going to be a bad time. Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19 talk about this event, if you will, this seven-year tribulation. Daniel, in the book of Daniel chapter 9, Daniel calls it the 70th week in his prophecy. And of course, the very, 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 and let's all say it together, very, very big question is, where is the church in all of this? And of course, there are a plethora of views as to where the church is. If you are a premillennial dispensationalist, you believe that the church at the beginning of the tribulation is raptured. Some people believe that the church is raptured mid-tribulation, and some people believe that the church is raptured post-tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. And there are scripture passages. That's why I said there's a plethora of views. There are scripture passages that can put you into one of those spots. My, my thought on this is uh, if the tribulation starts and I haven't been raptured, then I'm going to go for mid-trib. Right? And then if mid-trib happens and I'm not raptured, then I'm going to go for post-trib. Right? And I just want to get out of here because I really don't want to spend that time in that seven-year period. But who knows the mind of God? But there is this question, where is the church? Let's take a look at our passage here, uh, verse uh, 14 through 23. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, and that's what we're going to talk about, who are the elect that they're talking about? Is that the church or is that uh, tribulation saints? But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. That is the reading of God's word. So the tribulation, it looks like it begins at what they call the abomination of desolation in verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. Let the reader understand. This is the major event that lets you know that you are beginning the tribulation. Jesus says, let the reader understand. This really is not for the disciples. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey, this is something for future generations. 
Uh, this is something that is going to be written down, and he understood, Jesus did, that these were his words and that they were, would be formed into a book that we call the Bible. And Jesus says, let the reader, that's us now. The disciples at that time were not readers. Uh, well, they, they may have read, but they didn't read this because it wasn't written yet. This is for a future generation. So what is this abomination of desolation? Remember we said Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and Mark chapter 13 are all basically the same event. And so what you want to do is on your free time, take a look at those chapters in those different books so that you can get a big picture. We're just looking at the Mark chapter 13 passage. But what is this? And Matthew says uh, in his passage it was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And basically it means someone who abominates God or blasphemes God. And this abominator, if you will, is also a desolator. And a desolator is a destroyer. So this person blasphemes God and destroys what's holy. And the Bible says when this happens, the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. And so this abominator, this blasphemer, this desolator, this destroyer is standing where they are not supposed to. And basically Mark is saying, Jesus is saying through Mark, that this is the beginning when you see that, this is the beginning. And Daniel 9.27 explains this. And this is what it said in one of my commentaries. Students of the Bible know that this, this, uh, know this to be about the Antichrist who sets up his throne in God's holy temple in Jerusalem and declares himself to be God. Daniel chapter 12 repeats the details. And so as with most prophecies, and this is kind of a rule for prophecies, there is something of a current fulfillment and there is something of a future fulfillment. And so in 167 B.C., here's a name that you may have heard in the past, and you may remember it just because it's a, uh, a memorable name, Antiochus Epiphanes is a name that you may have heard in the past. In 167 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes was a Middle Eastern king, and he desolated and he abominated the Jewish temple and made a mockery in that temple by sacrificing pigs on the altar. Maybe you remember that from an eschatology class that you've taken in the past. And so in a way there is a fulfillment of this prophecy back in Daniel. Currently, 167 BC, also the emperor Titus did the same thing in the temple in AD 70. But here it seems like you get the impression that it's much worse. It's much worse than when Antiochus Epiphanes did it and it's much worse than when the Emperor Titus did it. The Antichrist is the one committing 
this abomination of desolation, and that's why it's worse. And Revelation 13, and that's why this is kind of fun, because those of us that have been studying the book of Revelation, kind of, it kind of, kind of goes together. Revelation says in the latter part of the tribulation, the Antichrist will make war with the saints and there will be a tremendous loss of life. And as I shared before, verse 19 says, it will be worse than the times before, than any times before. So the question is, why? what makes this worse? What makes this worse? And I think the answer is, it's the reaction of the saints. That's what makes this worse. And so our point number two is this, the elect must run, our scripture says. Verses 14 through 19, the latter part, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to, his, uh, to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. And so the response of the elect, it says that they need to flee. And so again, here's the difficulty with this passage, and one reason is there's a plethora of ideas as to who the elect are. Are the elect mentioned here the church? And then that would throw out the whole premillennial dispensational theory because... The premillennial dispensational theory believes the church is raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. But if these are the elect, the church are the elect that the Lord is uh, preserving here, well, then that throws that out. But another possibility is that these elect are those that are saved during the tribulation time. And so here's, here's, the, here's the interesting catch to this. A lot of people may say, you know what? I'm just not going to do this Jesus thing until I see some of this stuff happening. And if all of a sudden a whole bunch of people have disappeared and I'm not one of them, then, you know, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. But according to Scripture, maybe I can invite Jesus into my life during this tribulation time and make it through to the end. All right? That actually is scriptural. And there will be people during the tribulation that become Christ followers. Revelation chapter 7 talks about the 144,000 witnesses. Their job, 144,000 of them, 12,000 from, uh, 12, from each tribe of Jerusalem, their job is to present the gospel, 144,000. Revelation chapter 11 talks about the two witnesses. Their job is to present Jesus. And then we found this verse last week, Revelation 14, talks about an angel flying around proclaiming the message of Christ. And so there will be a vast number of people who will be saved during the tribulation, although it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get saved, and it's even going to be tough to continue to live because during the tribulation there is a whole lot of killing and all you got to do is read Revelation there's a lot of people that die and so most will be killed during the tribulation if you become a Christian and you're going to suffer uh, and uh, you know the Bible talks about beheading um, 
And so that's probably going to be your suffer. So the, the idea is, and that's why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait, don't wait till tomorrow. Because first of all, you never know about tomorrow. You may die without inviting Christ into your life. Uh, because like this gentleman that is a friend of Mar uh, my, my uh, daughter, uh, he, he drove into the Lowry Tunnel and he was going too fast and hit another car and a barricade and the car blew up and he died. You don't know what tomorrow holds. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. A vast number of people will be saved during the tribulation, but most of them will be killed. A few will make it to the end. Now, I think what's interesting about this passage here and the passage that we looked at last week is this. Mark 13.11 says that uh, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So the idea is, you know what, if you get arrested during the church age time for your beliefs, well, just hang in there. It's not really that big of a deal. The Holy Spirit will guide your words. Continue to be bold. Continue to preach Jesus. Continue to proclaim the cross. But here, in the tribulation time, Jesus says, run. Get out of there. Flee. Run to the mountains. If you're in one of these categories, it's going to be tough for you. Revelation 12, verse 14 talks about God caring for those that have run. And it says that the elect during the tribulation will be protected. Those that are the elect who choose to run and can get away and flee to the mountains. The Bible says that the Lord will protect them there. And the reason the Lord will protect them there is our third point. God will protect the elect so that they may enter his earthly kingdom. We call that the millennium. And the Lord also protects those folk by, verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. The Antichrist is so interested in killing Christ followers that he is going everywhere trying to find them. And if the Lord had not cut, cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were even possible. And because they are elect, it's not possible. But if it were, it's going to be so convincing that even the elect might be deceived if it were possible. And then I love verse 23. So, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. The elect who survive the tribulation are appointed by God to enter the thousand year millennial kingdom to have families and to populate the earth. That's what it says in the book of Revelation chapter 20. It talks about the millennial kingdom, that thousand years. And before that millennial kingdom starts, at the end of the book of Revelation chapter 19, Jesus will come again. This is what we call the second coming. Jesus came the first time at Christmas. 
to Bethlehem. Jesus comes again, if you will, as a raptured church meets him in the air. It talks about that in 1 Thessalonians. And then Jesus comes a second time as uh, the rider of the white horse, it talks about. And uh, the rider of the white horse with his raptured church, along with the armies of heaven, take back the world Satan took in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. So, just for fun, take a peek at Revelation chapter 19. And verse 11, give you a little bit of what we're going to look at next week. Revelation chapter 19, this is how the end times when Jesus comes for his second coming, this is how it plays out. Verse 11, Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hey, you know what? That's a pretty exciting verse right there because we know the end of the story. As Christians, we know the end of the story. And maybe the question for you is, hey, why spend about a half hour talking about this? I mean, it's future. We don't really know when it's going to be. Well, here's the scoop. Revelation chapter 1 tells us why we ought to be doing these things, talking about these kinds of ideas. Well, number one, they're in the Bible. But uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The time is near. In the world that we're living in, it sure seems like the time is getting nearer, but I can tell you this one thing, that tomorrow it will be nearer than it is today. Jesus is one that makes promises and fulfills them and this is one of his promises. What if he fulfills it today? So at the bottom of your bulletin it says this, because Jesus told us everything ahead of time, we are without excuse. So, as I shared that last verse that we looked at, be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Are you ready to meet Jesus when He returns? If not, you better get ready. Because as we say, get right or get left. <laughs> Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Oh yeah, there's a lot of different ideas here and it's not divisive to the church. 
Eschatology shouldn't be divisive to the church because nobody really, really, really knows. You do, of course, but uh, Lord, it's good and proper to be students of the Word and study. But there may be some that disagree with what we've talked about this morning, and that's okay. That's what being brothers and sisters is all about. But help us, Lord, to be students of the Word and determine, as the Holy Spirit leads, what to believe. And then how to live. That's what our Bible's all about. It's our ultimate authority on what we believe and how we behave. And since Jesus told us these things in advance and said, be ready, may we live ready. If we're ready, we don't have to spend time getting ready. And so, Lord, help us to be ready. And as the end of Revelation says, come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.